Brother Jeff has asked that we mark him number 195, and we'll use that at the appropriate time, a bit later in the service time this morning. It is truly a grand blessing, as we've noted already, to be able to gather and to assemble and to do so with the capability that you and I have of this hour. The first day of the week is a particular occasion when we each can set our bearings again for the things truly that are most important. So many issues and matters of life can come our way, and yet the first day of the week we have that lovely opportunity to refocus for a while on truly the matters of eternity, to appreciate in it the true treasure of the Word of God, and to meet fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We are thankful that each has been able to come together this morning. As we come to a lesson to give thought to Galatians, the sixth chapter this morning, the title of the lesson I've selected is this, The Three Bears. Perhaps there's a children's story that's very familiar to many of us, and maybe we've read it to our children just as our parents read it to us. It has within it a character named Goldilocks, and it also has in it three bears. Although it's true that there was some porridge, and there was a chair, and there was a bed, and that it was too hard or too soft or too hot or too cold, as the case may be, may I submit that at least in an interesting way today, we will look at the three bears found in Galatians, the sixth chapter. And I trust that we each will appreciate the beauty and power of how much more important are the three bears of Galatians 6 than the three bears that were those things in, in the Goldilocks and the three bears fairy tale. The reading a moment ago highlighted for us three verses in Galatians, the sixth chapter. Those verses were verses 2, 5, and 17. In a moment as we come to each of them and look at them in somewhat more detail, it would seem that it might be useful for us to at least recall the overview of the book so that we can gain a richer feeling for at least the message the inspired apostle delivered. The churches of Galatia were those that in fact Paul planted those congregations on the first missionary journey in Acts chapters 13 and 14. As he came into this region, much to their credit, these individuals overwhelmingly accepted the gospel. They were baptized in droves. The churches became strong after a period of only a brief time. Elders were appointed in those churches. These individuals were excited about the gospel, interested in its pursuit, and very much ardent in the characteristic of New Testament Christianity. However, Paul and his companions soon moved elsewhere to preach the gospel in other areas, and when they did, there were some false teachers that moved their way into the areas of Galatia. These false teachers, in fact, had a profound influence upon those churches, and people began to leave the true faith of Christ and follow the doctrine set forth by the false teachers. In Galatians 5, verse 7, Paul said, Ye did run well. There's a double compliment in that. First of all, there was a time in the past they had run faithfully. They had run well. But notice he did say did. They were not running well at the moment Paul wrote. They had begun to be influenced by and to pursue the teaching of the false teachers. And in this sixth chapter book, Paul set before them the truth of the gospel and their need to remain loyal, faithful, and always pursuant of it. Never following false teaching, never following that which was not right. In chapter 1 of this book, in verses 8 and 9, Paul plainly said to them that 
if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached unto you, let him be accursed. With all that in mind, you might appreciate that one of the things to which they turned was the law of Moses. These false teachers encouraged them to go back and follow the way of the law of Moses. But yet in Galatians 4, 9, Paul was amazed that they would leave the truth of the gospel and return to those weak and beggarly elements of the law of Moses. Wasn't Paul's usage of language strategic? Those things were weak and they were beggarly. Don't you want to remain faithful and loyal to the truth of the Master? It is with that in mind that we come to the sixth chapter of this book. And in it we find mention of three bears. We noted them earlier in the reading. And I would like for us, beginning at this point, to give some thought to the nature of those three bears. First of all, verse number 2. We must begin in verse 1 to get the fuller context of it, but notice in verses 1 and 2 of the closing stanza of the Galatian letter. Paul on that occasion simply said, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And immediately we have before us a bear. Now it's not a noun, but it's a verb. Bear one another's burdens is the actual reading of verse number 2. That word bear exactly means to lift up or to carry up in a sense to, in, if you please, to support. And thus Paul encouraged these Galatian brethren, these Galatian Christians to, in, to support or to lift up or to carry something what was to be carried. He said, bear ye one another's burdens. As you can see, that word burden, it means hardship or suffering. It has to do with that which brings to our mind difficulty. Bear ye one another's difficulties, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word fulfill means to make complete. It means to draw to a closure. And so it is that Paul thus taught by apostolic command to these Galatian Christians, you need to lift up one another's difficulties and in so doing complete the application of the law of Christ. We each realize that law of Christ is the gospel. And as we appreciate it, he says here, you and I as Christians have a role to play in the practical completion of it by virtue of its manifestation in our lives. Bear you one another's burdens. The motto of Christianity based on a passage like that one is not one of being a hermit. We aren't able just to go off and to live in a cave and just to pretend that there is no one else on earth. Just as they had responsibilities one to another to bear burdens... So too, that same command comes to you and me today. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Some additional comments about that challenge us to see that of course God never intended this to be abused and we shall in fact see in verse 5 how that it protects us from abusing it. But for right now, consider with me several challenging passages that help us see the application of one of the thoughts found in this verse. Bear you one another's burdens. 
the Christian community is one that is highlighted as one of unity, isn't it? In Romans 12, verse number 5, the inspired apostle, the same gentleman who wrote this letter, also writing that one, the apostle Paul, it was there that he said, speaking of the church and speaking of you and me as individual Christians, he write, we are one in Christ, and yet everyone members one of another. You and I are members of one body, but yet we are individually members thereof, and we member one of another. There's a way in which we impact and influence each other. Our example for righteousness and godliness is strong and notable and noteworthy. Wasn't it true that Paul writing to Timothy said in 1 Timothy 4.12, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in purity, in faith, in verity. Paul, or rather Timothy, was to be an example to all those in Christ who would observe and witness his life. Should it be any different with us? When others observe your life or mine, should they see a kind of life that can encourage them to greater walks of faithfulness? and encourage them to more mature walk in faith. Sure, that ought to be the goal, isn't it? You'll even notice beyond that a host of other passages that remind us of the Christian concern and the Christian compassion that should be descriptive of you and me as members of the body of Christ. We might well begin that discussion with Romans 12, verse number 10. On that occasion, as Paul wrote to the Roman brethren, he came to a section of verses in which he highlighted in practical force and in practical application what it was like to be a Christian. He wrote in that verse, in honor preferring one another. And he began the verse by noting, be kindly affectioned one to another. Now that was written to the church, to be kindly affectioned, to have a mindset whereby the attribute of kindness is displayed and exhibited in the way that that congregation dealt with each other. You'll notice five verses later, we find in verse 15 of that same chapter, these rather memorable words, Rejoice with them that, that do rejoice, and weep with them that do weep. When there were those hurting in the church at Rome, there was to be someone there who attempted to understand, someone who could be there to perhaps apply a shoulder or at least a matter of kind thought, prayer, and appreciation to the circumstances that that brother or sister was facing. Today, by inspiration, of course, that blessing is still ours. The world, by and large, is an uncaring place, isn't it? So often the world pursues itself. It wants what it wants, the way that it wants it, when it wants it. But yet in Christ, we find that slogan and motto that we read about so often in the New Testament. In Philippians 2, 3, Look not upon your own selves, but upon the things of others. Jesus said, didn't He, in Matthew 7, verse number 12, that very fine and powerful golden rule, where he said so interestingly that we should desire to act toward others as we wish them to act toward us. That singular feature and that powerful motto challenges us perhaps in 1 John 4, verses 2, 7, and 8. Perhaps the last two of those verses are the ones that so majestically come before us because they describe the one whom we follow and the one whom we serve. God the Father, what kind of God is He? 
Verse 8 summarizes it like this. God is love. God is love. And we are reminded in those passages that if we do not love, then we are not like Him. Because He is, in fact, a God who is a compassionate God of loving tenderness. Thus, you and I can strive to be the same. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So far, the things that we have stated, at least reminding us about some of the New Testament teaching on that point, bring us back to verses 1 and 2 of Galatians 6. The context in which we find this verse is is interesting. Notice he says, Brethren, if any of you be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The immediate context in which we find verse 2 is this. What do we do when a brother or sister has apostatized, has gone astray, has walked away from the faith, has begun to live in a way apart from the truth of the gospel? Paul says that those who are faithful should in love strive to lift the burdens of that one so that he or she might come back to the truth. The immediate application thus might not be exactly what we expected, but rather an application to those whom we love who have gone away from the faith. Those who are spiritual, you and me, should thus strive to, in love, direct our attention toward them in a way to help them or at least show them the way to bear those burdens so that they can come back to walk faithfully and come back to have their name enrolled in the Lamb's book of life. It may be that you and I know of individuals who once were faithful but who no longer are. As we continue to pray for them, and as we continue to wish good things for them and to live a godly example before them, hopefully God will bring us to the time when we can speak to them in a way that they too can come to see the urgency of their decision and the urgency of their current place apart from God, and that they would, in fact, rush back to His side. In verse number 5, we come to a second bear. In addition to this first one, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, this verse reads very differently. For every man shall bear his own burden. The Greek word burden that's here translated in this location means something that relates to practical discipleship, one's own personal duties, one's own personal responsibilities to walk the way of Christ. We certainly must be quick to say that there is no contradiction between this verse and the previous one. We're commanded to bear one another's burdens, but here the emphasis is on bearing a person's own burdens. What might we say about the second bear? I believe the initial comment might be this one. Just as surely as we have responsibility to assist others by way of example and on occasion even more in bearing their burdens, that does not mean that we are exempted from bearing our own. It doesn't mean that there's no obligation we have to bear our own burden, and that is the thrust of this passage, isn't it? Every man shall bear his own burden. All the examples that others may set before me, all the words of encouragement and all the prayers that you may pray on my behalf will not get me to heaven. There comes a recognition when I must be faithful 
And I must be dutiful with regard to the talents God has given me, and the same is true for you. Each man shall bear his own burden. Some verses that challenge us along that line might well be these. How often does God reprimand those who had not grown as they ought to have and those who had not achieved the level of maturity in Christ that was appropriate for and to them? We might well begin with some of those verses there at the bottom of that slide. In John 12, 48, we're reminded, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It does not say them. It says him. Romans 14, 12 reminds us, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. There's again that pronoun himself. On that day of judgment, we will not be judged by families. We will not be judged by congregations. We will not be judged by nations. We will be judged individually. Romans 2 verse 6 still tells us that we each will be judged according to the deeds done in His body. All of that reminds us, doesn't it, that surely, although others can encourage and assist and support, we have responsibilities to our own Christian duty, do we not? It is I who then need to strive to be faithful, to pray, to study, to learn, to worship, and it is you who, of course, also must for yourself do the same. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, the famous refrain of 2 Timothy 2.15. Are we not in a position to see examples of men like Noah? Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Genesis 6.22 Exodus 40.16 tells us, Thus did Moses according to all that God commanded him, so did he. The thoroughness and the faithfulness that we see in individuals like that reminds us that there is something very different about Galatians 6 verse 5 compared to Galatians 6 verse 2. We must bear each our own burdens. Are you and I as good at that as we could be? Do we become too discouraged at times? Do we reach a position where we're too quick to give up? Throw our hands up and say, I've had enough. Bear your own burdens. Those churches of Galatia, those individual members thereof, they were in a position where false teachers had come their way and preached an awfully good lesson. A part of that was, no doubt, related to the abuse of things related to Christianity. In other words, you can often be lazy and take things easy, and Paul says, absolutely not. For 2 Thessalonians 3.10 tells us, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. One of the attributes of our personal burden-bearing is the responsibilities and duties that go with working in the flesh. In 1 Timothy 5.8, we read that one who won't take care of his own is worse than an infidel. Doesn't that challenge us and see that in 2,000 years we still need the same message that they needed then, bearing our own burdens. Isn't it lovely to hear Paul then close the remarks in 2 Timothy 4? As he reached near the time of his own death, he could say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. There are quite often times in Scripture when we don't look too favorably upon usage of the personal pronouns. As that rich young ruler, for instance, or as that one who was going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones in Luke 12. But Paul, by inspiration here, said, There is a crown of life waiting me. You and I, though, want one too. But we must bear our own burden to ever enjoy the bliss and beauty of that reward. These two bears that we've studied so far, from Galatians 6, verses 2 and 5, point us to there is another bear. Verse number 17. Let's look briefly at the third bear also found in this chapter. Galatians 6, verse number 17. Near the close of the chapter, Paul rather interestingly and somewhat abruptly says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The usage of the word bear on that occasion is from a Greek word that means branded. In essence, Paul says, There is branded on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. We can certainly expect that in some realistic and definitive way, Paul's body bore the literal marks of his mark in Christianity. We know that in part because of the things that Paul suffered and the things that he endured. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, he says there of all the perils that he endured, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead on one occasion in Acts the 14th chapter. Paul suffered greatly and no doubt his body was lashed with the rods that he had borne by way of whippings simply because he was a Christian. What did his face look like? We are not sure. Could it also have been marked with the fist hits and with the other things that he may well have endured from the Jews who more than once had made his way so hard? This much we know, Paul said, that in his body he bore or had branded the marks of the Lord Jesus. It may be today that you and I don't literally have whip marks because we're Christians. It may be that you and I don't literally have those lashes across our front or facial area because someone has hit us because we were a Christian. That day certainly could come again, and it currently is for different parts of the world. But this much we can also say, that there is an attribute in which all of us too must bear the marks of the Lord Jesus. Those marks being the attributes of daily, devoted, dedicated Christian living. In Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There is that daily cross that each of us must bear, each of us must live, and the world will often turn a rather decidedly difficult ear to the kind of example that you and I set. They will often present difficulties by way of the demands of life. And yet you and I, like Paul, must be faithful, bearing in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Just a few of the verses and passages that come our way might well be these. In Galatians 2 verse 20, the very same book in which we've been studying this morning, 
Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet tis not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I died. Now what you see is Christ living in me, and the life that I now live is one dedicated firmly, totally, and fully to the declarations of the truth, and the gospel is thus manifested in what is observed in me. That was Paul speaking. Should not it be the same for you and for me? We read in Galatians 4.19, Christ in you the hope of glory until Christ be formed in you. Is Christ being more thoroughly and fully formed in all of us every day? Are we more mature and more faithful perhaps tomorrow than we were last month or last year? Are we those who are striving under the banner of 2 Peter 3 verse 18? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There was that interesting remark. In Hebrews 5, beginning in verse number 12, where we recall that there was a chastising rebuke of some who had failed to grow as the inspired writer there would have expected. He said, interestingly, but also pointedly, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There was in that closing verse, verse 14, reference to the usage. These who not only have striven to bear the burdens of others, but have striven to bear their own, and also daily bearing their body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Three bears. A far better lesson than the one of Goldilocks. Whether it be the porridge, the chair, or the bed, we have learned today about bearing each other's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ, bearing our own burdens and the duty that goes with it, and finally the attribute of personal, daily dedication and devotion to the faithfulness of the Master. Three bears. As we close this lesson, drawing it to its summary or conclusion, it might well be put in language like this. I've quoted the portions and the passages of that chapter to which you and I have turned already. Bear ye one another's burdens, and thus complete or make full by application the law of Christ in your life. Secondly, every man shall bear his own burden. Finally, verse 17, just as Paul literally bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus, so too you and I should live beneath the heading and the thrust of passages like 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 11. As Paul made reference on that occasion, he could state it fully like this. He said, I am constrained. He was constrained that the love of Christ be manifested in him. Is the love of Christ manifested in you do others, as they see you and me, see a person who lives as a Christian? That word Christian, remember, comes from the word Christ. Do they see you and me living like Him, speaking like Him, going places like He would go, behaving like He would behave? Or do they see a person who says one thing and claims something else? 
If it's the latter, we aren't doing a very good job of the three bears of Galatians 6. And we need to come back and appreciate the greatness and the teaching character of the three bears of Galatians 6. The gospel plan of salvation is certainly open and any person who is in need of public response is invited and encouraged to respond. It might well be today that there is one or more in this audience that's never named the sweet name of Jesus as a Son of God. To this point, you have turned your back upon Jesus the Christ. You've ignored the sacrifice He made at Calvary. To this point, you've thumbed your nose at heaven's greatest gift. Why not come in open obedience, lovingly relinquishing all the control of your life over to Him this day? He has commanded that you believe Him to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of the sins in your life, Luke 13, 5. Upon doing so, confess in a sweet way the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, Acts 8, 37. Upon doing so, be humbly and simply immersed, baptized, buried in water for the forgiveness of sins, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Acts 2, verse 38. Upon so doing, Christ adds you to His body, the church at that point, Acts 2.47. You're then able to walk faithfully until death, Revelation 2 verse 10, and to receive the crown of life. It could be, though, that you've wandered astray from the path of rightness. Just like the prodigal son, he left home, found himself doing things that were despicable, disgraceful, and shameful. But he had enough sense finally when he was near the pig pen to come back home. If you find yourself today in the pig pen of sin, why not come back to your first love too? There is a loving Heavenly Father waiting with open arms for you to come down this aisle today. If we could pray with you and for you, it would be our privilege and it would be our honor. Under the banner of Acts 8 verse 20, we would pray just like they did for Simon. And he was forgiven and so too can you be. If we could help you today in your return to the Master in that way, Brother Jeff has chosen a song of encouragement. And if we could help you, why not let us know in what way we can while together we stand and while we sing.